Welcome to the Public Sector Marketing Show, a podcast for government and public sector marketing professionals who want to level up their digital marketing and social media knowledge, skills, and strategic thinking. And now, welcome your host, Joanne Sweeney. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Public Sector Marketing Show. Now, COVID-19 presented government and public sector agencies with some of the greatest challenges in the modern era. But in this episode, I'm going to prove to you how agile and responsive they were and the lessons learned from a global pandemic. Coming up in the show, the role of digital communications during COVID-19 why I believe we will not revert to pre-COVID communications. Lessons learned from a pandemic. We hear from Ireland's National Health Service, the World Health Organization, higher education that went into isolation and classes went online. And we hear from a Greek MEP in the European Parliament who drove political communications from her home in Athens while her team was dispersed right across Europe. I also introduce you to our certificate in crisis digital communications. So stay tuned and hear from some remarkable public sector pros who have done some amazing work during some of these difficult times. Before we get into the show proper, there's two things that I want to let you know. First of all, this week we made a list of the 20 top public sector podcasts in the world, produced by Wealth Magazine, but using software from RFs and some other SEO and digital marketing organizations. I was delighted to find this and to see the backlink to Public Sector Marketing Institute. I'd also recommend the other podcasts on the list. So this show is really dedicated to you. My aim is to help you elevate the standard of digital communications in your government or public sector agency. I also love to share and to educate. It's absolutely free. So if you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe. Another announcement that I want to make is that we've added a new feature to the podcast section of our website. So if you go over to publicsectormarketingpros.com forward slash podcast, you're going to see this very new feature and you're going to get a prompt to send me a voice message. So I'm using a tool called SpeakPipe and SpeakPipe allows me to receive voice messages from you. Now, obviously you need to be using a mobile phone while you're on the website, but what my intention is, is that I want you to ask me a question. I'm then gonna take your voice notes into the show and I'm gonna answer them on the podcast. So off you go, head on over to publicsectormarketingpros.com forward slash podcast and leave me a voice note. In today's column, I'm going to discuss the role of digital communications during COVID-19. Now, the global pandemic effectively put the world on pause, apart from a number of essential sectors like policing, security, food, retail and manufacturing and pharma and, of course, government and public sector. You guys did not stop. But what you did do is that you totally embraced digital communications. You knew that in the absence of a vaccine at the beginning of the pandemic, there was only one 
antidote to stopping this virus spreading. And that was that our government and our public health leaders stood out online, were visible, provided transparent communications and were accessible in real time. I saw a huge sea change in the level, the standard and the approach to government and public sector communications over the past 14, 15 months. I believe that there are some good lessons learned from coronavirus, especially in this sector. Pre-COVID-19, government and public sector were concerned about going online, nervous about public reaction, senior leaders not adept, skilled, or really engaged in the world of social media, staff who perhaps weren't trained in real-time communications, and maybe there wasn't the capacity or the resources invested to manage always on digital comms. Right now, that story has shifted. We're now following a narrative where government and public sector are leading from the front. The World Health Organization has been the number one brand on social right throughout the pandemic. But let's look at our own individual countries. Wherever you're watching this show from or listening to the podcast, just look back and consider how you engaged with your public sector. You're probably working in it, of course, but they stood up. And what lessons we have learned are threefold. Number one, government and public sector are agile. Number two, government and public sector can display and can be wholly transparent to build public trust. And number three, you can do it. You've already proven it. Every single government and public sector organization has a case study right now to share, and you should share it with me, on how you navigated a global pandemic when your workforce was working from home, when your citizens were re still really needed your service, and when senior leadership said, are we online? Are we on every channel? Are we where our audience need to be? So I believe the lessons learned from COVID-19 will stand us in good stead. And I believe that public and government have actually caught up with the private sector. Now your next opportunity is to leapfrog, leapfrog their digital communications. Level up your digital skills by taking our Diploma in Digital Marketing plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code DIGITALMARKETING20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com In today's consulting section, I'm going to share my views on why I believe we will not revert to pre-COVID communications. And what was pre-COVID communications? Well, it probably was a reluctance to fully embrace online. It was a reluctance to live stream press conferences and a reluctance to fully admit that we need to invest in skills and also in infrastructure and technology and tools and also in our people and perhaps increasing our teams when it comes to digital marketing and social media. But there are other reasons why I believe that we're not going to revert to pre-COVID communications. And this is from the public's perspective. So for a moment, let's step into the shoes of the citizen. And can I say that citizen behavior has changed? Google says that we have experienced a decade of digital transformation 
in 12 months. We know that social messaging increased by 50%. All of the social networks experienced exponential growth in monthly users on their platforms. And we've seen mobile and social explode in terms of content consumption. So in terms of public behavior, they now have an expectation that their government and public sector leaders will be visible, not only in public health, not only in the political realm, but you see public health and politics set the standard. And this standard must now be met by other areas of public sector. So whether you're in science, in research, in transport, or in policing, or security, or defense, or education, there's a real appetite to be able to access a public service online, whether that's completing a form, making a, an appointment, telehealth, or even studying online. The world has gone hybrid. I don't believe that we'll entirely be working from home. We will still go back to in-person events and, of course, working with our colleagues. But there's been a huge transformational mind shift and also a shift in terms of behavior. Virtual meetings have become the norm. I was actually listening to a conference organizer and an owner of a venue uh, this week on national radio. And he said, unfortunately, the business for our meeting rooms is going to be reduced in a post-COVID world because people are also probably going to be taking less flights as they understand the value in having virtual meetings. In fact, only within the past seven days, I was live tweeting a global ocean science event where we had 1,200 attendees come from across the North and South Atlantic Basin with huge value for those attending and also in terms of speakers. Not everybody needed to fly into the Azores of Portugal. The other thing that I want to say is that transparency is has increased through COVID-19 because we needed that transparency in our comms because governments and public health, science and research were communicating to citizens about the efficacy of vaccines and multiple vaccines. And so that digital comms experiment and exercise has now become a case study in how you can move citizens from apathy to interest, from negative perception to public interest. And all of that can be done by leveraging digital communications, by being where the public is. So what will post-COVID comms look like for you. If you uh, have an opinion on this, I'd love you to share your thoughts with me. Send me a tweet to at JS Tweets Digital. A one-stop shop digital marketing and social media resource. Join our membership academy for 12 months. Access a library of how-to videos, template strategies, and organizational policies. Monthly live coaching. Attend webinars with subject matter experts. Meet and network with public sector pros from across the world. Use the code MEMBERSHIP20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. Within four weeks of COVID-19 coming into our world, I decided to launch a series of COVID-19 crisis communications conversations. I wanted to bring my listeners and viewers behind the scenes 
and to the front line of digital comms during a global pandemic. So in this episode, I'm going to share with you four highlights of those conversations. And again, just to demonstrate and to illustrate the agility and the commitment of government and public sector to trust and transparency and to social media. First of all, we are going to Switzerland and we are going to the World Health Organization and we're going to Geneva where Alexandra Kamanovic has been leading out the World Health Organization's social media over the past 15 months. It's fair to say Alexandra has been extremely busy, but in this conversation, she is really honest, uh, really forthcoming in terms of the processes, the tools, the strategies, the tactics, and the engagement with the big social networks to help get through the infodemic, which was a second secondary major problem that WHO faced during the pandemic. So how has COVID-19 changed your working day? So definitely COVID um, seeks from us that we are 24-7 present because it is present all around the world and we need to be present and relevant for every country and people anywhere in the in the world. Uh, the demand is high, um, definitely then we are working seven days a, a week in general, but this increased as well the need for us to be present on social media. Um, also, when outbreak happens, there's a lot of misinformation, and it's it's not something new that's happening with COVID nineteen, but it's just it's the first outbreak of this size that it ha happens since social media evolved so much. So that that puts more pressure for us to be fast with information or uh, responding to rumors or misinformation so that we can protect people and let them know what is the, the right way to protect themselves. Um, so definitely it put more of a pressure and luckily during this time we also managed to expand our team. Um, we also expanded our presence to more social media platforms to reach as many people as possible with reliable and trusted information. So let's talk about the social media platforms in particular. Which ones are proving very useful and, and which ones have you expanded to? So where we have our highest presence is Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Uh, definitely we are most active. I mean, platforms function differently and therefore our strategy of how we use each platform is different. Um, following the, the new developments on algorithms and platforms, but also our content and learning by doing, like we are adjusting. Digital media is uh, transforming every day. The, that way we also follow new trends and adjust, uh, adjust our, our presence. But definitely we use Twitter for the wide range of audience uh, from general public to governments, media, uh, policymakers, while on other channels, our audience is mostly general public. So then as well depends which type of messaging we are posting on, on, on these platforms. Um, since the outbreak started, we expanded our presence on TikTok. Uh, Snapchat. We also launched for the first time a WhatsApp channel with the chatbot on COVID-19. We launched a Viber chatbot that we didn't have before. We, we launched as well Facebook Messenger chatbot. So these are 
all new products and a way of using social media that we've never done um, before. And this was all run by idea that we want to reach as many people as possible with reliable and, and, and trusted information in real time. And of course, while people are in lockdown, their social media usage has increases, increased. So in, in Italy, we saw that social media time spent was up by 70%. So this makes perfect sense that you're trying to reach people through all available channels. We, we know about social media influencers, right? And predominantly, maybe when, we, when you talk about a social media influencer, you might think about a blogger or an Instagrammer. But my eyes have firmly been on your uh, Director General, Dr. Tedros, as being an influencer right now. How is he coping and, and responding to uh, the attention from, from social media in particular? I would say we are lucky to have a leader who understands the power of social media and the importance of so social media in the 21st century. So he also, with his... Um, leadership and taking over the role as the director general, he actually brought a new view uh, to many people in the organization, not the social media team per se, but he brought with himself that, uh, that social media is important and we must use it better. So that really helped us uh, to expand our presence, but also uh, for other people to understand the importance of it. So He's not just external influencer when it comes to social media. He's an inspirational leader for many of us in the organization to use social media better, to explain WHO role, to explain what we do, and most importantly, to provide our recommendations to wider audiences than through traditional media. So definitely having leader as such helps. And uh, he understands and his appetite for social media is, is big. He uses his phone uh, a lot. He's on top of everything. He's on top of information flow ar around him through social media or other digital uh, platforms. So um, it's really good to have personality and leader as, as him uh, in, in, in this, in this uh, pandemic. Next, we're going to Ireland's National Health Service, the health service executive, and their social media manager is Marisa Ryan. So on the front line of social media and working within a national healthcare organization, you can imagine the stress and the pressure that Marisa and her colleagues faced at the outset of COVID-19. In this conversation, she shares with me how she collaborated with other organizations and how they put the patient and the citizen front and center off their comms. The HSE is is no stranger to crises, just given the nature of the organisation. However, there isn't like a, a handbook for, for a pandemic, is there? How, how mentally do you prepare yourself? You're used to crisis comms, right? You're on yes. the line every day, but how mentally do you prepare yourself for something like this where not nobody has all the answers? No, so like... Like you said, we have had a number of crises that we're trying to deal with all the time. But like this one, um, like it's a global one. We're kind of learning from other countries what they're doing. And some people have worked on pandemics before, like the swine flu um, a number of years ago. Like obviously things have changed hugely. There was no social media back then. I actually think our Twitter account was set up for that years ago. And like just as another platform to set it out, whereas now like social media is our 
Twitter account is one of our main channels to get our information out. Obviously, we've grown to other channels because of that as well. There's just so many different ways now of getting information to the public, to the people that we want to talk to all the time. And like social media is just, it's great to have it. Like there's two sides of it. Like it's great to have it, but also people are using it to talk to us all the time. And we have a small little community, our social media team. And at one, like we have been getting direct messages and our call centre has been looking after our direct messages for a number of years. But the call centre were obviously taking on the calls for coronavirus things so we took back the messages and because we were so responsive on twitter messages we were getting up to a thousand messages a day over the last two weeks now thankfully it has reduced i think we had 109 messages yesterday so it has gone from that a small team of four of us trying to reply to a thousand messages it was tough going for a while but you know like people are so looking they're looking for the information and it's great that they're coming to us looking for it and the, over the last few days we see the difference in the messages like people are really asking questions in relation to cocooning they really want to get it right they really want to do the right thing like you know like the little things can i go for a walk down to the local shop and it's lovely to see that people are just making sure they're doing things right and it's great it's a very Irish sense they're checking in with us for little things and it's great to be able to help people you know like it would be awful to leave somebody whose mother is living on their own and they're just looking for the right thing to do in relation to that and we're helping them and everyone thankfully is so grateful for the information we're giving them they're very thankful for the work that the Irish Health Service is doing and the work that we're doing in responding to their queries. Sometimes they probably don't even expect to get a response from us, which is a nice thing to see. Now, when you say that people are coming to you to, to ask about, you know, what might seem like something small, can I go to the shop, can I go for a walk, whatever. But I think the message has kind of got through that people really need to go to trusted sources. Yeah, and that's been a really strong message you put out. Yeah. And our, our content team have really, really worked hard as they always do on the content for the website. And it's great to see like everyone referring people back to the trusted source of information, which is the HSC website. That's where all the data or the detail is. That's where you get it. And because we have the call center, we have social media and we have the content team. We obviously want, and obviously press as well, but we want all our messages to sync. Like it's no point in us giving a message um, through the social channels that's something slightly different to what HC Live are giving at the call centre or what's different on the website. So we have like a daily, a twice daily call with content with um, HC Live and with ourselves, just making sure that we follow the common questions that we're getting in social media and HC Live. How can we put information about that on the website? How can we get that involved in HC Live script? And how can we use that then afterwards on social media if somebody's asking for the right question? Like, we don't know the answer to everybody, you know, and it's okay to tell people, sorry, I'm not sure about this, especially when it started initially. It's a very, very new virus that we didn't really know how it worked. And it was okay, like, I mean, it's not ideal to not know the answer, but it's okay to not know the answer either. Do you know? Well, it's, the, it's the truth, right? Yeah, yeah. And we yeah. give what we can to anybody who's asking. Now, the, the social networks have also collaborated with you because I see now when I search for COVID-19 on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, I am prompted directly to go to the hse.ie. Has that been useful for you? It's been so handy. In fairness, I have to give all the social networks their 
their credit. Um, we kind of linked with them quite a bit um, around vaccines and we kind of opened the conversation with them around that and they had done something. They both done, uh, both Twitter, or Twitter and Facebook had done something around vaccines for that and it was brilliant to see them. They came to us, Twitter came to us initially saying we're doing the same with coronavirus and we have worked with them quite a bit to get our factual information out there and Facebook have been incredible. They have come up with so many different ideas. They have done a page for coronavirus for people that can follow that links to our website. We have a new uh, profile picture that says I'm staying at home and um, they have given us a lot paid for advertising um, that we're using to obviously promote our messages far and wide. They're coming up with different things all the time and keeping us in the loop, going, is this a good idea? Is that a bad idea? You know, they, they're really anxious to help us whatever way we can. And LinkedIn now have also come to us as well, looking to give us job slots as well. So that's kind of great. And like stuff like TikTok that doesn't do advertising in Ireland, they have contacted us to see how they can help us. And we partnered with Spun Out recently to reach the young, younger audience. And you might have seen the likes of Laura Whitmore shared our video that we did with Spun Out there recently enough. And that was to 1.1 million people. And like she has just started out on TikTok, but she shared our, our her version of our video. And like that wasn't anything we had to pay for. Everybody was so anxious to get involved. And because of the social networks doing what they were doing, we're getting that extra push and help. And it's great. When the Irish university sector closed its doors and lectures went online and essentially universities went into isolation, Kate Wood, who's communications officer with the Irish Universities Association, spotted an opportunity. And that opportunity was to tell the stories and share the experiences of staff and of students who were working and studying in higher level education. So I mentioned at the outset that your video series caught my eye because what you've been able to do is put your community front of camera and I think you've handed over the camera to them. Tell us about that series. Yeah, the vlog series um, was just an idea I had the weekend all the staff broke up uh, to work from home. As I said, all my filming had to finish up uh, because the universities were shutting but we've called it Higher Education in Isolation. And it really wants to hear um, the stories of staff and students and describing their experiences of online learning during COVID-19. And it was a project made for, um, a, it was a project done for the Enhancing Digital Teaching and Learning um, in Irish Universities Project or EDTL project, um, essentially which uh, aims to enhance the digital capacities of all staff who teach in Irish universities, essentially um, using online tools and technologies to teach students their course material. Um, I thought it would be a really good tool um, for the project team to use after all this is over to help them really focus on the real pain points for students and staff. And um, this is real on the ground, honest information and, and feedback. Nobody had any time to prepare for this and um, so it's a true reflection of where digital teaching capacity is as now, as of now um, but also I've noticed that it has gone much wider than I originally thought it would um, I noticed that um, lecturers are using it um, for their own um, uh, their 
sorry, uh, lecturers are using it um, for their own resources um, and using it as feedback from students as well. So whereas I thought originally it would only be used for the project team, wider um, teaching groups have started to use it. And also it's providing a little bit of lighthearted, humorous content during what is a very serious um, situation. So it really has developed to serve a dual purpose um, for people in the sector. And I'm delighted at the reception that it's gotten. Because I've been watching the video, so I see students pop up on my newsfeed and they're sharing their individual story of how they're coping and adapting to learning online, but also being in isolation. And I actually think that's why the, the broader scope and the broader interest has taken hold because these stories are just like me content. People can resonate with them. They're inspiring and they're invoking a sense of we're all in this together. So I think you've tapped into something that people can share and relate with. How have you managed to convince students to prepare their videos? Was that difficult? Because they seem really good quality to me. Yeah, um, I, I'm very impressed with what they've done so far, actually. And I've actually reached out to a couple of people I know kind of was just to get me started. And I work um, with um, various lecturers and various students just for making features and content for the IUA websites anyway. So I contacted a couple of people who I'd been um, working with previously and they agreed to get involved. But as a technology is particularly with students they have good mobile phones i have a video call with everyone that agrees to take part so we can talk about framing we can talk about audio quality we can talk about all those kind of nitty bitty things that they not may not be experts in and talking about tone i want it to be conversational i want them to show me their life intertwined with online learning and and how they're getting on and also i really wanted to hear from all different types of people across the country, across disciplines, and across lifestyles, um, because one person is not the same. And the practices that come out of this project, of the eDetail project at the end, want to cater for as many people as possible. So that's going to be of real benefit to the project team after all this is over. Also in lockdown was the European Parliament, the headquarters of European politics, and of course, all of their MEPs were operating and doing their constituency work from home. In this COVID-19 crisis comms conversation, I spoke to Greek MEP Anna Michelle Asimakopoulou, and she was driving political comms and ensuring that her citizens knew that she was still representing and advocating on their behalf, and also ensuring that the work from the European Parliament was still being done, but communicating to constituents that that work was still being done. So I spoke to Anna Michelle from her home in Athens while her team was scattered across Europe. So we're using this time to reorganize the way we work together. And, and I think we're making significant improvements actually, which we probably should have done when we were working <laughs> together before in a live setting. We're using all the, you know, all these teleworking tools and, and also trying to um, launch new campaigns in our social media. Uh, the idea being twofold. One, I'd like to communicate to people the work that's being done in Parliament, because the European Parliament is operational. We're doing committee meetings where everything is monothematic. I mean, we're talking about COVID-related stuff all the time, but we are functioning in committees and in plenary. So I try to communicate this to people. 
and give them information. And then secondly, I also try to promote what our government is doing uh, to my colleagues abroad. One of the very interesting and innovative initiatives that you have taken is a new social media series called Life Goes On. Tell us about that. It caught my eye. Yeah. Yeah. This is what we call that. We call the COVID-19 Life Goes On series. And this this is, I told you, trying to, to, to keep people informed about what's going on. We have something called MEP to MEP, where I do these one-on-one -on -one interviews with colleagues from the parliament, from all of the political parties and different countries. So they tell me what's going on in their country, and I tell them what's going on in mine. And together, we talk about what the European response should be to this, uh, both as a, on, the, on the pandemic level, on the health level, and also on the, on the economic level. And then um, we also do, I also do MEPcast. So these are discussions with experts in Greece and abroad, panel discussions on various issues that have to do again with how the pandemic is affecting policy. Um, I'm the vice chair of the International Trade Committee. As everybody can understand, there are some big issues with the internal market, how it's functioning, trade, um, industrial policy, what the next day is. So we talk about that with experts from all over the world. And then we also try to keep, you know, give people suggestions on what they should do every day when they're, you know, cooped up at home with their kids or with their loved ones, um, things they can visit from around the world. We call that part of our Life Goes On series. And also tell them stories, especially from what's going on in Greece, of, of everyday heroes that are not in the front line like the health, the health workers and people in supermarkets, but everyday heroes who are doing amazing things to help one another and to help all of us get through this as best we can. So that's our COVID-19 Life Goes On series, and it keeps us real busy. Can I share an observation that I've had with you? And obviously, from my perspective, that's what I do. I analyze how government, uh, political and public sector comms operates, particularly in the online world. So one observation I've had, and I'd love your um, view on it, is that the the political voices um, in the main have been prime ministers, they've been ministers for health, we also have our public health experts like our chief medical officers right. um, dominating conversations. Um, but I have noticed that um, our, our other ministers and departments, our other politicians um, aren't as vocal as they normally are is there a fear or, or what is your understanding of that? Look, I, I've been an elected politician uh, for the past 10 years only, but I've done all levels of elections. I've done uh, local council, municipal council. Uh, I was a, um, a member of Greek parliament from a rural region, from a the, one of the largest regions in the country. And then I did a national campaign to get elected to the European parliament. So I can tell you, that you know your survival instinct as a politician when it comes to what you're what you're saying publicly and how much you're exposed in different circumstances it is a big factor in your communication strategy so there's two types of approaches one is you're just out there even though nobody knows what this is going to be like i mean i can tell you that i can i feel that people in greece now are actually trusting our government we have a you know we have a reliable government they they listen to to the 6 p.m. news where where we have a health a specialist who is in charge of letting us know what's going on they 
they're trusting the government, but that's because they're really, they're there at home and they're scared about their lives. Nobody knows, you know, how long people's patience is going to last. Nobody knows when they're going to lash out against the people that are, you know, the faces that are in the front line of this. So a lot of politicians who are not required, let's say, if you're not health minister, you're not responsible for, I don't know, you know, uh, crisis, crisis management, you're not in the front line. Some of them are taking a back seat right now and saying, well, you know, maybe I don't want my face to be out there right now. That's a decision. And, and that's not a decision I've ever made in my in my political career at any level. In fact, I was government spokesperson when we were doing the austerity measures in Greece. In Greece, and that was really, you know, that was not a pleasant task to, you know, have to announce austerity measures every day, but explaining them to people. But I feel that it's just, first of all, I feel it's a duty. <laughs> you have to, you know, you have to do what you can. And second of all, I find that if you're if you're forthcoming, straightforward, and honest, people recognize that, and they. I think in in this series that we're doing from at least from what I'm I'm getting from my constituency they're sort of comforted to feel that you know their their elected politicians are trying or doing something are a voice I mean now it's a big issue as you know how Europe is going to coordinate its response with solidarity is it going to issue corona bonds is it going to have the ESM deal with this how much money is going to be available what will be the terms this is a discussion that can get really heated and emotional, and people are really worried about what the next day is going to be for their livelihoods, for their businesses, aside from their health. So, you know, I, I see they watch this, we call this EU backstage, which is I just do these little videos and I explain, you know, today was the Eurogroup. Not everybody's an economist, you know, Joanna, and they can't follow everything. So we try and make it simple and say, look, you know, if people are telling you this is bad or this is good, you just have to understand X, Y, and Z. I think that that you know at least at least um, this is this is my decision now where it might lead who knows but I think that's why you're not seeing a lot of people because a lot of people are just saying you know what this is an unpleasant thing I don't want my face out there talking about you know really unpleasant things like death and you know curves and how long you're going to be cooped up in your house so I'll just sit this one out. Level up your social media skills by taking our diploma in social media, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code SOCIALMEDIA20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 19 of the Public Sector Marketing Show. If you haven't already, be sure to introduce the show to a public sector pro you know. This week, I got some comments from Ravi on YouTube. He was delighted to have discovered the public sector marketing show, but now he's going back to the back catalog and going through each episode one by one. And that's the thing with this show. You can get digital marketing support skills, knowledge, and a podcast and a social media show dedicated for your industry. You know and I know that digital marketing for business is very different to digital marketing for government and public sector. And if you love the show and you appreciate the time that I give to it every week, as do my team behind the scenes, I'd love you to subscribe and also to rate and review because the more ratings and reviews that I get, it'll help the algorithms to show it to more public sector pros like you. But from me, until next time, Stay digital.
Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Public Sector Marketing Show. This episode has ended, but your digital journey can continue. Head over to publicsectormarketingpros.com to access resources and links mentioned in today's show and to connect with Joanne and her team. Until the next time, be sure to subscribe, rate and review on your favorite podcast platform.